Today's episode is brought to you by Rootless Coffee Company. Rootless is a small batch roaster out of Flint, Michigan, making high-end coffee with bags designed by some of the comic industry's rising stars. Collaborating with artists, bands, brands, nonprofits, wrestlers, comedians, and more, Rootless is the punk rock gateway to craft coffee. Easy to understand and delicious roast options. Listeners get 20% off their order using the code HARDTIMES at checkout when you visit rootlesscoffee.com. Any size, any grind, any time. Break free from boring. Welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bohm. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I ask artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week is Alex Lichtenauer of Get Better Records, also plays drums in a band called Control Top. I adore Alex. I was excited to talk to them. Uh, we became friends a couple years ago, and uh, this one's been on the books for a while. Uh, we recorded this interview quite a few weeks ago. Um, I'm excited that it is finally coming out now. But before we get to Alex, let's talk about my friends over at Discovered Magazine. Uh, Discovered is an international print counterculture magazine encompassing the best of music, art, skateboarding, and anything with a punk ethos. You can get 10% off a yearly subscription using the code FIRSTEVER. Spell that out when you go to store.dscvrd.co. They have a brand new issue with quicksand on the cover. They all, I don't know if you know this, but they also do uh, limited pressings of records. So, for instance, right now there is a limited to 300 copy of the new Drug Church album called Hygiene, which you can pre order now over on their store. Support Discovered. Awesome, awesome magazine, awesome people. And uh, I also want to throw out there, if you want to subscribe to my Patreon, support the show, it would really mean a lot. Uh, you could start at $3 if you just want to, you know, throw, throw us a bone, get some, uh, get some bonus content. You'll get extra Radio Hour episodes and you'll get to hear all the extra content that we're providing as well as so much more that we are doing over on that site. And uh, there's also a $7 and $10 tier, which includes being able to uh, submit questions to upcoming guests and... Uh, also a, a physical gift that you'll get uh, twice a year. So yeah, hit up uh, patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. And lastly, if you have not subscribed to the show on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're enjoying this, please do that. It helps the show a whole lot. And uh, it may, maybe it keeps you coming back. I don't know. Um, if you haven't rated or reviewed the show on Apple, that would really mean a lot to me as well. Okay. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Alex Lichtenauer. Alex, it's nice to see you. How are you today? I'm good. Yeah, nice rainy day here in Philly. But uh, yeah, oh, doing pretty good. 
I'm so jealous. It's we've had just such a hot streak here. It's it just fall fall in California doesn't really exist until kind of like December. So yeah, it's it's yeah, it's weird. I remember one time I was in LA and someone was like, you know, it kind of sucks that every day is sunny because then you feel like you have some obligation to like be outside and do something. Like I miss like having some rain or some clouds to like have an excuse, like you know. A superficial yeah. excuse to like stay inside or whatever. <laughs> no, it's it's no, it's completely real. I, I it's funny. I've never thought about it that way, but that's an extremely legitimate thing to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, you because the rest of the country, let I mean, let alone I think kind of the world looks to California as like, oh yeah, wonderful weather every single day. You do sort of feel guilty when you just sort of stay inside and work or stay inside and just watch movies all day because you're like, uh. I, I guess I'm supposed to go outside. Except when there's, uh, like, fires everywhere and there's smoke in the, sky, smoke in the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, think, it's, it's wild, because I know this year has obviously been pretty bad for that stuff here in California, um, as always, but it hasn't been as bad, at least in this area, which I'm, I'm pretty thankful for. It's always so heartbreaking when it happens, but... yeah. Of of all the things that have been you know obviously going wrong in in the in the world especially specifically in this last year it, it's I was almost expecting just my entire city to just be on fire the whole time to be like yeah let's just add to this let's let's just add to it you know yeah I was even like because I feel like a lot of the stuff that's going on like environmentally for me like I was talking to someone the other day about it and I was like it's easy for me to just blame everything on COVID but then I was like wait a second climate change and fires have nothing to do with COVID. I was just like, my brain was so used to like worst case scenario for everything that it's just like, <laughs> right. oh yeah, it makes sense that the earth is on fire because it's COVID. But it was just like, right. that's decades of, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. COVID feels like the ultimate boogeyman right now for like just everything is that thing is uh, is COVID's fault. But um, but <laughs> I'm sure if we try hard enough, we could figure out a way it's, it's COVID's fault. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, so are you still doing the acupuncture stuff right now? Yeah. Um, talk to me about that. Yeah. So right now I work three, pretty much three half days a week. It's just like Monday, Tuesday mornings, Friday nights. And I'm actually, my goal is by the end of the year to quit. Um, is that, it's funny too, because, you know, I graduated a couple, maybe like three years ago from acupuncture school had no real intention of working. I mean, I did when I was in school, but then, like, I started doing music stuff more seriously, and I was touring a lot, so I was like, well, how can I possibly juggle these two? And then COVID happened, (laughs) and then I was like, oh, shit, like, I need to, like, work. So I actually got my first and only acupuncture job in June of 2020. So I, like, started in the thick of the pandemic, and it's just been, like, a wild experience kind of navigating both like safety, you know, working in a new field and also like all the COVID safety guidelines and like my boss being weird about stuff. And like, it was very, very interesting. It's still interesting to like be working in like that type of like healthcare field right now. That's not a hospital, you know, it's not an urgent care, but it's still like a somewhat medical facility and working during pandemic has been so bizarre, so bizarre. Yeah, what, let me ask, what brought you to want to study uh, acupuncture? I, it's, a, it's, it's a field that I've always found pretty fascinating. I've never done it myself. It's, I'm, I'm open to it, but I'm just curious what brought you to it. 
Yeah, I hurt my ankle really bad skateboarding when I was in high school. Like, sprained it so bad that I couldn't walk. And then a family friend was an acupuncturist, so I went to him, and it kind of just fixed my pain pretty instantaneously. And I always kind of had it in the back of my brain, and I was the worst student. I was like, I did so bad in school. Um, I didn't want to be there. I just, like, hated it. So I was like, I never thought I was, like smart enough to like go to acupuncture school or like could ever do it um and then I was kind of actually giving up music for a while in like 2014 or something I was like I need to do something new in my life and I just randomly applied to a school and I got in and I was like well I guess this is my new path that I'm going to go on and it was like a four five year journey um But yeah, it just kind of, I've always been interested in like alternative medicine and herbs and kind of health, you know, health stuff. Um, And it kind of fell into it, then fell out of it, then fell back into it. And now I'm kind of like trying to navigate music, label, acupuncture all at the same time, which is (laughs) kind of cool, but also just like, whoa, like I feel like my eggs are in so many different baskets right now. It's hard to like stay focused. I'm sure it's nice to have an avenue that is not you know, uh, punk related in any capacity where it's like a whole different side of your brain to, uh, to, to just put to use. And also the idea, it's like helping people in such a different way, as much as obviously music is helping has, especially in this last year has helped people so much, but it's, it's nice to have a different Avenue that actually like physically helps people on a, on a three day a week basis. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, like, my clinic's very heavily focused on, like, fertility, which I'm just, like, not interested in. <laughs> like, I like treating, you know, like, uh, anxiety, depression, stuff like that, and, you know, physical, mental mental pain, emotional pain. Um, so I end up seeing a lot of these patients where I'm like, all right, like, I I'm just, I feel like I'm going through the motions sometimes, but then I have a patient comes in that I'm like, oh, like, I really connect with you. This is amazing. I love doing this. And it's also been mm-hmm. kind of funny because I work Fridays, like, in the evening, which is the day that records come out. Oh, so, no. like, tomorrow, for instance, we have, like, an EP coming out for a band, and I have to work at night. So it's, like, my brain is just, like, going all day from the second I wake up to, like, promoting the record to, like, them being at work where I can't really be on my phone as much being with patients where I'm, like, oh, my God, like, I'm doing, like, two extreme things at once. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a lot to take on. Um Last question I want to ask about the acupuncture is uh, you sort of mentioned a few of the things, you know, a few of the things that it helps. Is there anything that you were surprised by um, that it's able to help? Interesting. Because, um, like, again, I, I'm on the I only know it as what we've seen in movies sure. and TV and and that sort of thing. And you mentioned it helped your ankle. But then a moment ago, you, met, you mentioned it helps like, you know, anxiety and things like that. Um, was that, I mean, even just the fact that it helps anxiety, was that something that surprised you when you started working with it? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think one example is I, I, whenever I get the hiccups, I like get like barking hiccups where it's just like, <laughs> like in high school, I got kicked out of class cause my hiccups were so loud. My teacher was just like, oh, that's not fair. You're being too disruptive <laughs> to the class. Your hiccups are too loud. Um, so a couple months ago I had the hiccups so bad. They just, for hours and hours, I could not get them to go away. And then I got an acupuncture treatment, and within, like, five minutes, they were completely gone. 
like completely gone and didn't come back. Wow. So it was like that to me, I'm just like, okay, this like actually works. And let me ask where, where for the hiccups, where did the pins go? Uh, kind of like in my chest, in my stomach, in my hands and feet. Okay. Um, kind of like in the diaphragm area. Um, yeah, I was laying face up. So yeah, in the stomach and like chest area. Um, wow. Yeah. So that to me, you know, and, that, and this was like last year, maybe even earlier this year, after having been around acupuncture for like, you know, six or seven years at this point, I was, I'm still like blown away that it works so quickly and just, you know. I also, I'm also yeah. just imagining, I'm also just imagining how stressful it might've been to put the pins in as you're like, <gasps> Yeah, you know, like yeah. your body's got to jump in a little bit. Where it's going to like puncture my, an organ or something. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's that's so cool. I'm uh, yeah. When uh when I knew I was going to talk with you, I I had that in the back of my brain, being like, oh, I know, I know you do that. So I'm I've I've always been super curious about it. Maybe one day I'll I'll give it a shot. It's you know it, it couldn't hurt. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most people when they think of it, they think of like. Um, actually, I don't know what people think anymore, really. But like, it's a lot of like back and neck pain. Um, that's like the primary reason people come in is for pain. But I like, and that stuff's kind of easier to treat. Um, so it's very like satisfying to treat it, and you know, it builds mm-hmm. up your confidence. Um, but yeah, like a lot of mental, emotional stuff, I think is really, it does amazing things for that. It can like help oh, heal trauma whether it's like yeah. physical or emotional trauma. So it can get pretty deep and people have like, I've definitely had like emotional reactions and responses to it where I'm just like the next day I'm just like b- crying for no reason. I'm oh, just wow. like, well, that was like an, a release that was definitely from the treatment because I wasn't feeling this way before it. So yeah. Right. But, Oh, that's one. Yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> that's wonderful. Um, so you're from Baltimore originally, right? I am. When, uh, when did you move out of Baltimore? I moved out of Baltimore in 2009 when I was 19. And okay, I, so you're born and raised there. Yep, yep. Um, and then you moved, was it to New Hampshire yep. that you moved? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I did my undergrad in New Hampshire in a very, very small town called Keene, which uh, it's like right next to Vermont, like Brattleboro area, like western uh, New Hampshire. Was it the school that brought you there, or were you looking for kind of a, a more scenic sort of escape from Baltimore? I was just trying to get away. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, my parents kind of had, like, a hold on me when I was a kid. And, like, I actually applied to colleges behind their back because they were like, you're not ready to leave, you're not ready to leave, largely because, like, my grades were just, like, so bad. And they just, like, didn't think I was ready to, like, move out of their house. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm ready, I need to leave. You know, you all saying this to me makes me want to leave even more. So I... Yeah, I did a year of community college at home because they kind of, like, were, like, you, we're not letting you leave the house. It was, like, a very weird situation. Um, so I was, like, what's the furthest way I can go that's not, like, the other side of the country? And I, for some reason, sure. I really liked winter at that time. I was, like, really into, like, the snow and the mountains. So I just, like, yeah. it was pretty random, to be honest. I just, like, found this school... I was, like, the only one in the school that was even from Maryland. Everyone was from, like, New England because it was a, you know, 5,000-kid, very small school in, you know, western New Hampshire. So yeah. it was very weird that I even went there. Um, but I actually, I loved it. I really, really loved it. And I still have, like, a bunch of friends that I still talk to from there. And, yeah. It was, and what did you 
what did you take when you went there? Was that for acupuncture or what did you take? So I actually majored in sustainable product design and innovation. So it was Hmm. kind of like engineering without all the math. It was kind of like (laughs) designing sustainable products. Like, yeah, kind of like engineering, but it wasn't like all the calculus or whatever you need to do for engineering. It was like designing like solar ovens and like, working in like SolidWorks and CAD, which is like the computer program to like design stuff, which I was awful at, but I ended up not really even liking it. And then I, oh yeah, I wanted to build drums. I wanted to like build drum sets, which never happened, but it was a, yeah, interesting experience. (laughs) Right on. So, okay. I mean, that, that's a good segue because, uh, you know, as much as I think a lot of people know you for doing get better records, but obviously you're a drummer as well. Um, when did, uh, when did you first like connect with music, uh, as a young person? Like what was the first thing that you, you know, kind of felt like was yours? Hmm. I've kind of always, I can't remember not ever being interested in music. Um, I was, I always had this like weird obsession and fascination with drums. If I would like get a CD, I would just like, if there was a picture of a drum set in like the liner notes of the CD, I would just like just stare at it. And just think how cool it was, you know, being like, you know, six or seven or whatever, like super young. Um, but the first CD or like a band that I, I ever really fell in love with was, was Rancid and Out Come the Wolves. I remember getting that CD for like Hanukkah or something and was like, oh my God, I just like, it made me like feel something. And that was, Rancid I think is the band that like changed everything for me. Yeah. Oh, that record. Yeah, that that was a record that you just could not escape. It's it's and it, to this day, it's still, you know, so so timeless feeling. Yeah. Um, I remember finding out later, which is probably the most common knowledge thing ever. But the whole why it's called an outcome, the wolves thing, um, like how every major label was trying to sign them. Yeah. And just that that's the I just think that's the coolest. It's so cool. Hardest name. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely just punk as hell. Um uh, did you did you get to see them ever as like a, as a young person or or now? I've still never seen them. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. For, for some reason, like I've never seen Rancid. I've never seen Green Day. Like two of my favorite bands ever. I've for some reason just never seen. To be honest, I mean, I hadn't seen them either. Uh, we played a festival just just a couple years ago where they were the two headliners on it. I just told this story recently um, on another episode, but uh, I listened to that yesterday. <laughs> Oh yeah, just yeah on, with the, with Barry, I talked yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah and like watching Trey Cole set up set up his drums, yeah, I was yeah. like, "It's the cool, it's the coolest thing ever." Um, and then uh, there was also I didn't say this, but I looked over at one second and Billy Joe Armstrong was standing right next to me. He had, he had like his hood up and was just trying to be kind of inconspicuous. And I was like, "Oh, I'm going to say something to him. Like I'm just going to you know tell him thanks or whatever." And uh, but as I was about to do it, I realized right to the right of him was like a seven foot tall, very big person who was you know kind of pushing people like me to not bother him. So I was yeah, like, okay, yeah. I'm just gonna, <clears throat> but I, I did, I did say, uh, thank you to Trey cool. And he was very sweet and did a, did a nice firm handshake. And I was just like, Oh, but yeah, it was a trip. It was fun watching rancid too, because, um, how little, uh, it seems that Tim Armstrong plays guitar, but it, he wears it so cool that you're like, it's fine. Yeah. It doesn't even <laughs> matter know? that he's not playing it. Cause he just like, yeah. it's like hanging by his knees. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it was like, super cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Um, what was the first concert you went to? 
You know, I was trying to think of all these questions, these answers yesterday when yeah. I was thinking about what you would probably ask me. And I, I can't remember. Okay, yes. The first, like, official concert concert I ever went to uh, in Baltimore, this, this radio station, it was called, like, HFS or something like that. And they had a festival called HF Festival. Um, and it was, I was in middle school. And I think one of my friend's dads worked for the radio station and got us all tickets and it was like the Foo Fighters, Coldplay, Good Charlotte, Billy Idol, um, wow, New York Dolls. It was like a big like at the stadium, you know, in Baltimore. That was probably the first like official concert I ever went to. Yeah. Um, was it was it like because here in LA, K Rock will have like our big station here will have like the almost acoustic Christmas or whatever, and it has just like a rotating stage where like band like because you just mentioned obviously all major big selling bands did they do a thing where it was like you know Foo Fighters plays for 20 minutes and then the stage rotates and then the next person plays for 20 minutes kind of a thing or was it like no it was like sets from all yeah it was like full sets but there was a stage outside of the stadium where like Good Charlotte played and some like and they were one of the smaller bands that played and this was like peak Good Charlotte you know um And I remember my friends wanted to leave before the Foo Fighters, which was, like, I was so mad about. We had to, I had to sit through Coldplay, and I didn't even get to see <laughs> the Foo Fighters at the end of it. Um, I think Garbage played, too. It was wild. It was really wild. Yeah. And, yeah, that was, I think, the first big concert I went to. Um, other than that, it was mostly just, like, DIY shows. Like, I never really – I haven't been to that many stadium shows it's always kind of sure. been like smaller shows. So like, yeah, that, yeah, that big festival, it was, it was really fun. It was a great experience, but like, yeah, it was just like all that stuff was like overwhelming to me. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Uh, what, when did you start playing drums? Was that your first instrument? Yep. It, it's, it's the only thing I can, I play. Um, I started playing, I got my first drum set when I was like 12 but my parents would let me get cymbals, so I just, like, was playing the drum. It was so weird. And I eventually talked them into getting me some cymbals. Um, and then, yeah. Did you have a hi-hat? I did. No. At first, no. It was just, wow. like, snare, bass drum, and, you know, rack and like floor, floor tom. tom. That's it. Yeah. And I was, like, yeah, in the basement, like, locked in a small, you know, this tiny little room with, yeah, no cymbals until they eventually like, were, like, this is like impractical to not have any symbols. So did so did did a lot of like the early stuff you were playing was it a lot of like just like using the floor time as a hi hat like the yeah or like the rim of the snare or something like that. Um, but before that, I would like it sounds so cliche, but it's true. I would like set up pots and pans in my, mm-hmm. my of my mom's, you know, and just like hit them, tape like a a stick with like the pan lid as the symbol. But, and then eventually, did, yeah. Let me ask you this. Did you feel, do you feel like not having hi-hats and not having symbols affect the, has that affected the way you approach playing certain, like when you're writing drum parts? Like, do you find yourself, um, I guess, thinking at, like thinking differently than how a normal dr- drummer would because that's sort of programmed in you to where that's where you started? Like, do you find yourself doing a lot more stuff with toms? than you maybe would have had you had all the symbols and stuff originally? 
I don't know. I don't think I didn't have cymbals long enough to really have that big of an impact. But I do, sure. as a drummer now, really like toms. And I really mm-hmm. like using toms a lot. So I don't know if it's because of that or just because that's what I like now or what. But um, yeah, it probably wasn't, it was probably maybe like a couple months that I didn't have cymbals at a very early age when I even, I was just hitting, you know what I mean? Like not like really knowing what I was doing. Um, so yeah, that's a good question, but I'm not really sure. Yeah. Do you remember the first song that you learned how to play? Like that you could like play along to? I do. It was, well, it was either like Seven Nation Army or Blitzkrieg Bop. And that's only because my first show was at my friend's bar mitzvah. Where we only played, oh, we played those two songs and Wild Thing. (laughs) So like one of those three songs was the first song that I learned how to play. (laughs) Yeah. As you, you know, we just we just mentioned the Barry interview. That was, you know, Seven Nation Army, he said, was like one of the first songs he learned how to play on guitar. And I never thought about how that song sort of became um, the next generation first song for a lot of people. Um, I think it was like Anthony Green from Circa, maybe, who I interviewed, who said, who referenced that as like, yeah, now kids these days are are learning that. And I was like, whoa, I, I you know, because I'm, I'm a bit older than you. And, you know, for me, it was always like, smells like teen spirit or like come as you are or something like that you know yeah. um but it's interesting that yeah i could totally hear it though because seven nation army it's like it's so basic but it's such a such a ripper of a riff too yeah and as a drummer yeah, it was just like so like steady and easy to learn how to play as like a first one of three songs i learned it was just like really really easy and say with wild thing just like a super easy straightforward song you know that i could yeah. learn when i was like 12 or 13 years old um, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> so when, uh, when did you start a first band? When did that start? Uh, when I was 12. Really? Yeah. Um, I, I was really fortunate because my best friend and his best friend, we all played music and we kind of just like all met, um, and started a band and our bass player's mom was a music teacher at like the local school so she had like all the equipment set up in their house. We would just go to her house or like in her like music room at their house and just, we had everything available to us to play. And even like that's where we recorded all of our first demos because she had recording stuff set up. Um, and it's really funny now actually, not to go back to the Foo Fighters and Nirvana, but yeah. um, my friend's dad, Ian, He's like a he's a foot doctor, and he is Dave Grohl's foot doctor. And Whoa. I don't know if you remember when Dave was in like the big like throne. A cast. Yeah, yeah. Lou Schoen did the surgery on him, and they've like become family friends through that. And Whoa. like he went on stage at like Wrigley Stadium a couple years ago and sang some song. It might have actually been Seven Nation Army. Now that I think of it. Oh my god. Well, that's too many coincidences <laughs> at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But wow. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh shit. Uh, foot doctor, podiatrist. Yeah, podiatrist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's cool. That's cool. Flex. Like, yeah, I'm Dave Grohl's podiatrist. <laughs> right, right, right. He's like the nerdiest <laughs> Jewish guy ever. It's like so, uh, it's so funny. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I've had the uh, I've had the utmost honor to to uh, have met uh, Dave Grohl twice, oh, cool. which is crazy. Yeah, one a long time ago too. Through like, I was working at a record store. And one of the employees there uh, was a radio uh, DJ on the big 
uh, hip hop station, but he, he had like a midnight rock and hip hop station uh, or show. I mean, so he played both and he was always really good friends with like Queens of the stone age. Like if you ever saw the tenacious D movie, uh, the pick of destiny, uh-huh. um, there's like a scene at like, it's like a house party scene. And, um, uh, like Kyle, Kyle gas goes to the house party. It's, it's what I forget what happens in the scene, but anyway, there's a DJ and there's like a funny bit part where like, he stops and like Kyle gas says something. And then like, he comes back on like that's C minus like this friend that I worked at a record store with. And, um, so he, he like DJed in between bands for like a Weezer Foo Fighters tour. And, um, so he brought a friend and I, a friend and I out and, um, he introduced us to, to Dave Grohl, like in a very like private little backstage room. And I was just like freaking out because <laughs> Nirvana is like, you know, still my all time favorite band, but I just like, couldn't believe it. And he was so, so nice like so polite and then um and then when his radio show ended up having his last show like they were the show got canceled um he brought dave Grohl down to the studio then he invited everyone from the record store to come hang out and like he was there again obviously didn't remember me i would never expect him to but he was just (laughs) once again just the most polite person ever um that's awesome yeah it was it was i still just like couldn't couldn't believe it he was just so like especially the the that second time because I saw, you know, I walk in, I see he's like on the air or whatever. He, they go to commercial and then I walk in and see like, see mine. It's like, you know, reintroduces me or whatever. And in my brain, I was like, I just met Dave Grohl. Like, I don't have to, I don't want to take up space. Like I'm good. You know, he was super nice. And I was like, so they went back on air once, once they went back to commercial again, I popped in, I said, Hey Chris, I'm going to take off. Like have a good rest of your show. And Dave girl stops conversation to who he was talking to at the moment and looks at me and goes, Jeremy, you're leaving already. And I was just like, could not believe that. Like the fact that he retained what my name was, I was just like, can't handle this. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my. I was like, and then I just fumbled on my words. I was like, yeah, I, I have to work in the. I, I'm sorry, but it was very nice to meet you. That's so um, funny. Yeah, it was. The, it was the coolest thing. It was. It was just the coolest thing. Um, man. Uh, so when? Uh, what? By the way, what was the name of that band that you were in? Uh, that band was called the Scanarchists. This nice with the capital S K A. Of course, of yeah. course. So it was a ska band. Yeah, it was like a ska core band. We didn't have any. Actually, no. Our bass player Ian played a trumpet sometimes, but it was just okay. yeah, like a three piece that we sometimes had Ian play horn instead of bass. So yeah, a okay. ska band. Were you listening to? Was it like like leftover crack style or yeah or more okay. very much in a leftover crack. Um, like Streetlight Manifesto, but you know, without all the horns. We were like yeah. a fast punk band that was like, yeah, leftover crack choking victim style for sure. Yeah. And how, how long did that band last? A really long time. Um, so we started when we were like 12 and disbanded probably when both of them moved away. Like for like six years, maybe we were a band. Wow, um, which is you know a long time when you're like totally like I mean it's still a long time now but yeah like very like formative years and I just remember being it, so heartbroken when they both moved away I was like what am I gonna do like my band is like that's like all I cared about you know but they're like we're going are you off. still are you yeah are you still in touch um yeah Ian actually lives in Philly now and I okay great just remember that he texted me yesterday I didn't respond to him. Um, but actually I haven't seen him since just cause like pandemic stuff, but sure. Yeah. He, he lives in Philly and the other person like lives on the West coast and we're not, we're not as close anymore, but 
yeah, they're they're both not in music really anymore at all. But yeah, I mean those those like formative music years are so special. Where even if you drift apart on a lot of different levels, like seeing those people is always such a. It always kind of has a, a feeling of home a little bit. Where you're like, oh, remember this thing that we did, or remember yeah. this weird show that we played? Yeah. Do you remember what the first show you played was? Well, the first. I don't know if you want to call it the bar mitzvah the first show. The bar mitzvah show, yeah, yeah. that's right, that's right. And then the second show was my bar mitzvah. Um, Amazing. And then the first show we probably played was in Pikesville, Maryland. There's like a teen center, and it was like in the basement of it was like at the basement of like a Staples or something, but like wow. kind of separate. Um, uh, Ian's brother would set up shows there. And we played some show. I don't remember exactly who played or what it was, but I assume that it was either like at that teen center or some like JCC that we played shows at. Um, but the first big show we played was we opened for Avail. Before I never, I didn't even know who they were. Ian's brother's band dropped off and was like, "Hey, do you all want to play?" And we were like, oh, "Yeah, okay, cool." And it was at the Auto Bar in Baltimore, which is wow. like you know, the first stage we ever played on. Um, and we were like for sound check, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, we were like sixteen or fifteen or sixteen years old, and just like playing with a veil. It was a veil, pink razors, and the draft. Um, Whoa, man, pink razors! That brought me back. I've not thought about that. Yeah, band in I know. A minute. Wow, <laughs> wow. Yeah, they're great. Uh, great Richmond band. That band was cool. Yeah, they put out what two records? Two, two that records I know of. Yeah, maybe more. Yeah, yeah, they're wow. really cool. Um. And how did it go? Um, it was really fun. You know, no one cared about us. You know, they were all there to see a veil who hadn't played, I think, in a, in a long time at that point. Um, but they were, like, so nice. I remember Tim Barry was, like, really, he was excited that we were playing because I think we were the same age as his kids or something. And uh. he was, like, saying how cool it was that we were, like, 15 or 16 years old. Like, our parents drove us there. Um, it was a really fun experience. Like, I think I yeah. got out of school early that day to play or something. <laughs> yeah, nice. It was cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's such a different experience than, than in playing your friends or, or your, like, bar mitzvah. Because you're like, that's, uh, I mean, the pressure's on because you're with your family and you're with your close friends who are there and, for like, that. But suit. like, <laughs> Right. But there's, like, not the, like, playing to strangers element that comes when th- playing like the the basement of a staples or the auto bar or something like that yeah. do you remember having a different feeling for between those kinds of shows where all of a sudden you're you're having to perform to strangers i feel like i was almost more nervous to play for all my family Makes i was sense. also like you know in i was like 12 or 13 years old i was like wearing a suit i was like on this you know in front of like all these like formally dressed people it just like felt so weird um yeah, I think I was like, these are strangers, like, whatever, I don't care. Also, I think I was just like, my adrenaline was just going the whole time. I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just like focusing yeah. on just getting through it. But how was your, uh, how was your tempo for awful. that? Because, because <laughs> yeah, like, I know that's the thing with a lot of drummers where once the nerves hit, you're like, well, I'm playing this song three times faster than it should be. Oh, I still do that. That's why, that's why I play to a click. Otherwise, there was, there's no way I wouldn't do it. Wow. You, so you played with Cook Live for I do. like Control Top? Yep. Yeah, that like nice. changed my life and my bandmate's life when I started playing to a click. Um, 
I don't think I'll ever play without it. So do you just have, you just have like, do you just do like big headphones or do you do like in-ears or what do you do? I have in-ears that are only the click. Like right now, mm-hmm. I don't like have any like bass or vocals or anything. It's just sure. a click. Um, and like our guitar player has all these like wild synthesizer pedals and like loops and stuff. So it's all connected through his channel and I just have like a start, play, next track thing. So it's fairly basic for now, but we're like working on how to make it just a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I like, we also have some tracks where like the bass is looped to the click. So I have to be on the click or else it would just, you know, we'd be way off time. Yeah. Did that take you a while to, to get used to playing to? Um, I, hmm. at first, yeah. I also played a 16th notes, which is weird. Hmm. Um, like my click is 16th instead of just like quarter notes. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think it took me a while to realize that, quarter notes don't work for me I have to play to 16th notes so I think once I got to 16th notes like figuring that part out it was like a pretty easy transition and um I like seriously like absolutely love it oh that's awesome yeah it's that's, really, I, I love it so much because I just like don't get as tired because I'm not like fighting with myself to find the tempo we're just like fighting with the song I'm just like I almost don't even hear it anymore I'm just like chilling and it's like in the back of my mind the click is going and it's just like yeah muscle memory it's really cool yeah that's that's awesome that's uh it's i mean it's also just like a a really handy tool to be able to turn on and turn off to to do something like that yeah Um, especially like because a lot of our songs have loops and just like bass bass um that's just like yeah just loop the whole song and like vocal loops and stuff like that so it's just like takes the anxiety off of having to just like be spot on the whole song, which I don't think I could even do anyway, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure. Did, uh, did you do many bands, uh, post the ska band to control top? Oh yeah. A bunch. A yeah. bunch. Yeah. What was the bit, what was like some of the bands that, that started once your friends moved away? Um, after that I was in a band called wild and crazy kids. Um, nice. and that was like a Baltimore band. Um, and then I was in a band called cringe was which like a hardcore band from Baltimore, and then when I moved to New Hampshire, I was in like a folk. I was I got really into folk punk when I moved to, up to New Hampshire. That and, was that was certainly a wave for a while. Oh my god! I was like I was like that was you my shit. That was my shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who who are your bands? Uh, like Defiance Ohio. I loved yep. This Bike Is a Pipe Bomb. Like Against Me. Those those types of bands. I was trying to think of some more ghost mice. That was that yeah, was ghost mice. I like them. Um, um, fake problems for a bit. Yeah, um, fake problems. That's right. Yeah, that was that was certainly. I mean, you couldn't escape it. I, I loved so much of that stuff too. It was it was so so good. I really lo- no band I really liked that I think are, that are still together was uh, was Nana Grizzle. Oh yeah, uh, yep. They put out a record. I think. Just last year, well, pretty recently, yeah. yeah. That f- that first record, though, so good. Oh, love it, love Jesus. it. I think it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god! I remember Elliot from my band um, played that for me because I I didn't even know that band had existed. Like I I, I like Neutral Milk Hotel and I liked Defiance Ohio for for a bit, and then yeah, I didn't know that there was this band where they came together, and I was like, oh my god! It's kind of it's so hooky, it's so catchy, good lyrics, just everything. So good, so good. Yeah, they're incredible. Yeah. Um. So, so did you play in, you played in like a folk punk band? I did when I was in New Hampshire. Yeah. And then I kind of gravitated towards, then I, after New Hampshire, I moved to South Carolina. 
Um, wow, you've been all over. I've been all over the East Coast, yeah. Yeah. And I was in a band there called Rubrics. Um, okay. And we were kind of like a crusty, hardcore band, very influenced by like early propaganda. Um, it's like fast political band. Um, and then we toured a lot. We like we like really went hard touring with that band. Um, and then like yeah, the people in that band were pretty fucked up. So I ended up leaving that band, and that's when I started acupuncture school. I was just okay. like kind of made me want to quit music because they were just like yeah. so it was a married couple yeah we don't, we don't have to get into it but it was a bad situation sure. and I just yeah. um, I was like alright maybe music is just done for me like I feel like I've done a lot of touring I don't necessarily need to do this again um, I like stopped playing drums for like a year I was like ready to just give it up and started acupuncture school in Asheville North Carolina um, okay. stayed there for just eight months or something I did like one semester there um, and then I transferred up to a school here in Philly and that's where I've been since like 2015. Okay. And do you feel like Philly is home for now? Yeah. <laughs> I always, as, as you've, you, you and I have talked about, like, I'm always kind of like, all right, LA, LA, LA. Yeah. But, I remember when, I mean, when we got to know each other on that tour, I, I feel like you were talking, we talked about how you want to come out West down the line. Is so it's, it's still on your horizon at some point? Yeah, absolutely. It'll, it'll always be on my horizon until it happens, until it, you know, until I'm there, you know? Yeah, um, totally, totally. Is it California you want, or do you, are you interested in, like, the Northwest? It's California. It's, like, L.A. I yeah. always hated L.A. until I, I dated someone that lived there for a couple of years, so I'd go there almost once a month for, like, a couple of years or every other month, and I just realized that I hated the touristy aspect of it. One hundred percent. Because, like, you know, yeah. you go there on tour. You're there for a day. You play a shitty show. You know, um, like a, DIY, a super DIY show where like ten people show up. You're like, LA sucks. Like, no one cares about us. Like, it's pretty, but there's traffic. You know, it's gross. Yep. But then you go there mm-hmm. and you stay there. You know, and you're kind of like, you know, more more so like living there. You know, at someone's house or whatever. And it's just like complete opposite experience. And I truly just fell in love with it. Yeah, the whenever someone tells me, so I feel like maybe LA and New York has this the most where people feel the need to let you know that they hate where you live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I fucking hate New York, I fucking hate LA. Uh, but I rarely defend it because a lot, of as, a lot of aspects, I'm like, I get it, it's not worth getting into it, whatever. But a lot of people's first experiences here are kind of what you described where it's like they want to see all the touristy stuff. So, of course, you're going to deal with the worst traffic ever because you're going to the most trafficy places possible. Also, find me a major city that doesn't have terrible traffic. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just like we just we just kind of got known for it. But it's like I promise you, San Francisco has worse traffic than us. It's and crazy. New York. It's like, yeah, it's terrible. It's, it's congested as fuck. So. Um, so yeah, but you know, what I tell people is like, don't come here for two days. Come try to come for like a week, stay to the more like just chilled out areas. I promise you'll have the best time because we have great food, great entertainment, just like, yeah. And also like people are, you know, I think LA is known for having pretty shitty people too, which I can only defend so much. Um, but it's like the way I've looked at it is like, you know. 40% of the people who live here are from here 
and they're trying to like quote unquote make it and it's not working out um and so they're kind of just bitter about it and they're taking it out on random people and then there's 40 percent of people who moved here trying to make it and it's not working out and they're mad and they feel entitled because they live here so those that that 80 percent are just like clashing (laughs) but then there's this extra percent that's left that's a mix of both that are just keeping their head down being nice working hard and those are the people you need to find and connect to because those are the best people you're going to find. Yeah, and that's kind of exactly what I found when I would go there and like hang out. You know, I only found people to be supportive once I actually started hanging out there because, like, yes, everyone's trying to like you know make it or whatever or just like do the art thing, but they're also. It almost felt like there was less competition on the surface. People were just like trying to help each other out all the time. Which still on the East Coast, it feels very opposite in some regard, where it's like everyone's just trying to like fuck each other over and like you know step on each other to get to the top, which happens everywhere, you know. But sure. the people that I met in LA were very much like supportive of each other, and everyone's trying to help each other get to where they wanted to be, which felt like really cool. Maybe there's more opportunities out there. I don't know, but it just like felt very supportive and really nice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I when I. When Touche started, I wrote a shit ton of songs about how I hate L.A. And then I started traveling a bunch. And then I realized, like, oh, wait, I love L.A. It's <laughs> my, I love every we have everything. I've, everything I love is there. Yeah. Um, and I, I really turned my opinion around. And then I, you know, kind of got mad at myself that I had to sing all these songs about how I hate where I am from. Where I'm like, actually, I think I kind of love it now. Um, thank, thankfully, we've written a bunch of records that I don't have to go back and sing a lot of those songs anymore now. But um, it's funny how that works, though. Yeah. Uh, what uh we got we got ahead a little bit i'm curious what the uh what your first band that recorded was was it the first band it was yeah yeah what was that like it was really bad um (laughs) you know having access to recording at an early age was very cool in a lot of ways but also you know pretty embarrassing in a lot of ways too and i actually i think i have a cd of the earliest recording somewhere i just need to find it it was Almost, I think we were called the Skulls at the time or something. Um, it was just like fast punk with like yelly vocals. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, we kind of drifted into like the ska type stuff with the upstroke guitar. Um, but. How was recording drums for you the first time? Was it stressful? I think I just loved it. I was, like, obsessed with the fact that I was recording something. I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. I would just go home and just, like, listen to it nonstop. Um, And I I, I loved it, which is funny now because now I, like, hate... I have, like, a weird relationship with the studio now where I'm just, like, I don't really like this. It's stressful. It's annoying. I just, like... But I'm still excited to be here. It's weird. But as a kid, I just, like, ate it up. I just loved it so much. Um, I had so much fun doing it. And I think we just did everything live, from what I remember. So, well, do, did it come later when you ended up having to like track by yourself? Like, uh, did that? Yeah. Was it usually was it usually all live recording up until like when you got a little older? Yeah. So in Keene, we linked up with some studio that was in Keene. It was just some like really weird dude who was like into what we were doing, and he just like let us record there for free. And he would just, like, multi-track all of our stuff. And Mm -hmm. I think that was the first time I ever multi-tracked. It was in his studio uh, in New Hampshire. And that was fun, too. It was definitely weird um, 
way different experience, you know? And I remember first hearing that people multi-tracked and I was like, what? That's like so fake. Like, why would you do that? You know, like, I was like <laughs> right. a dumb yeah. kid being like, that's so fake. But now I'm just like, right. yeah, like that, you have to do that. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Did, did you find that, be, uh, like, had you played to a click at that point or no? I don't even think, I don't think I played to a click. Okay. Yeah. I think you just let me run with it. Sure. And then the song ended up being like, um, you know, off tempo. Sure. But sometimes even, that's, sometimes that's, that's what you want. You want to have totally. like a, you know, like a, like a very genuine sound to it. Does it like sometimes, sometimes it's for the best when drummers don't play to a click. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's funny. Uh, were you ever strike anywhere fan? Oh yeah. So the record exit English, I love that record. Uh-huh. It's so, so good. And, uh, touche toured with them in Canada, them and Bane, um, a really long time ago, like 2010 or something. Whoa, cool. And, and, um, I remember once I got warm with, with, uh, the members of strike anywhere, um, I, I talked to their drummer, <clears throat> talked to their drummer, Eric. And I was like, I was like, let me tell you the drum sound, the drums on, on, uh, on exit English are just, they're so good. Like they just, they sound so perfect and like whatever. And I could just see his face kind of change. And he was like, <laughs> I fucking hate the drums on that record. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. He's like, that's the first time I ever played to a click. And I was like the song to him. He's like, these songs feel so slow, like oh. so, so slow to me because that was my first time ever having to record a record to a click. So he's like, I can't listen to that record. And I'm like, Oh man. And so it's just, it's funny how people, you know, experience things so much different than musicians. But that was one of the first times where I was like, damn, I never would have thought that. Cause to me, that record is just like hard hitting and like, just, Oh, it's, it's, it's so, so good. Did you ever have an experience like that where playing to it, like maybe playing to a click was not what you expected? Hmm. I think I just, when I first, year, like, before Control Top, like, years before that recording, I just, like, couldn't figure it out. I just, like, mm. couldn't figure out how to play to a click. So just, I just simply wouldn't in the studio. Sure. And yeah. I remember, like, fighting with the engineer, being like, he was like, you have to play this part slower. You have to play this part slower. And I just, like, my nerves would kick in, and I just, like, couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, like, the cool thing with, like, like, Control Top now playing to a click is our record is the speed that it is. And then live, it's just a couple db you know couple like bpm faster so it's like yeah it's fine it so makes you, pur- sense. you purposely oh, turn yeah. the db up just a little bit just so it doesn't feel exactly like the record yeah i don't yeah for that reason also i think the songs just felt slower when you're playing them we also the way we wrote our first record was very weird it was like just like kind of chaotic and just like somehow like written in the studio then after the studio it was very strange so we didn't really know the songs when we were recording them. So we didn't really have a feel for them. And this like it was whatever sounded good in the studio. And then afterwards, we were like, this sounds way too slow, especially for like a live show. So we would just like, you know, pop everything up a couple. And it's kind of just how yeah. it went. Yeah. Uh, I've always wondered this. So you play in the Hearst Collective, but I know the Hearst Collective also uses a drum machine a lot. What are th- when's the decision come in to where you play or not play? I have not played a show with them since like 2017. Okay. I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, I've never, no, I've it's, never, it's seen, very, the, I've never seen the band. Yeah. It's very funny because people <laughs> still think of me as the hero's drummer, but I'm not. Yeah. It's, no, it's, it's yeah. It was, it's just, 
Every, everyone does. Um, yeah. I think I, we only played like five shows with me or something. Oh, wow. um, okay. But there's like this like strong conception, like I'm the drummer of the band. Yeah. Um, which I just think is funny. Um, yeah. So, and other people have played drums too a couple of times, but it's almost always just Jenna and Scott with the, with the okay. backing drums. Um, if it was up to me, whether it's me or not, they would always have a drummer. I just think they're a band that are so good and like having, who doesn't like to see a live drummer play like fast totally. grind, grind beats, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but just like, logistically, it just doesn't make sense for them to always have a drummer. Totally. But, um, Hearing, <clears throat> watching a band play without a drummer is like such a wild kind of like assault on your senses because you're hearing it and it's and through like PA speakers, like it always just feels so like intense, but then also visually you're kind of confused by it. Yeah. You know, you're like, so in a way it kind of probably adds to the experience a bit because the band is so hyper aggressive that you're like, Oh fuck. Um, so like I could see both sides, you know, it's like, I'm with you. I love seeing a, a especially in that genre of music, watching a drum, like, to be honest, my brother was always a drummer, and so there's always a drum set in the house. And to this day, like when I go see a band, my eyes are on the drummer almost uh. the entire time. Unless like, you know, crowds going crazy and there's a lot of big sing alongy stuff, you can't really not watch that stuff happen. But like, um, I very I I would never call myself a drummer. I can like do some basic stuff or whatever, but um still to this day though, like as soon as the band starts, like my eyes are on the drummer. It's just such a fun instrument to watch someone play. Yeah, and I think for here's like, when I first started, like, learning about them, I don't think I just, I don't think I, like, understood what they were doing at the time. I was just like, why, what, what is this? And then I kind of understood it more, and I'm like, okay, it's cool that they don't have a drummer sometimes. Like, I, I get it. I get it more now. It makes more sense to me now after, like, you know, seeing them, like, a hundred times and, like, just knowing them as people. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, and Jenna's, like, a really great front person. Like, she just, like, goes wild. They both do, Jenna and Scott. Right, yeah. They just, like, go wild the whole time. So you almost, like, forget sometimes they don't have a drummer because they're both so, like, captivating to watch. Totally. Um, and just so loud. Like, so incredibly loud. Um, but going back to the click track thing and, like, speeding up, the first yeah. show I played with them, I think it was, like, us and Soul Glow and someone else at a house in Philly and the joke was that I was playing faster than the songs were <laughs> on the recordings because, like, my nerves, I was so nervous that yeah. I was, like, playing fa- faster than the songs actually were and, like, right. speeding up the, uh, like, the breakdowns and stuff. I was just, like, so nervous to play. It was maybe, like, yeah, four years ago or something now. Um, yeah. So, you know, maybe they shouldn't always have a live drummer. That's me, but... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, they're great. You mentioned the band from South Carolina was the first, was that uh, doing a lot of touring? Was that, what was the first band that you toured in? That was the Scannerkus when we were oh, 16. Wow. We went that on band tour. Really, that band really lived. We really lived, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we lived longer than we should have um, for many <laughs> reasons. But yeah, we did a tour of Pennsylvania. I think we played okay. like three or four shows, maybe five. In, in just like Pennsylvania, like random towns, um, and that, yeah, that was the first tour we ever did. And then I think we did just like some regional stuff. I think we went out to Kentucky or Ohio. That was like the furthest we ever went. And then my band in New Hampshire, 
we did a lot of touring up and down the East Coast. But then Rubrics was the first band that like, I went out to the West Coast with. We went to Alaska, went to Puerto Rico. We like did like that type of wild stuff that like you know was blowing my mind at the time. You know, I was just like, "Whoa!" I never thought I'd be doing any of this stuff. Did you drive to Alaska or did we, you fly? We flew, and it was okay. the weirdest tour ever. Well, yeah, tell me about we, it. As soon as we got there, we like what happened? We were given this giant like Breaking Bad style RV to drive. <laughs> With we went on tour with another band who were just like very strange people, the strangest mm-hmm. people to be locked in an RV with for like a week or something. One of so them. So you did like a you did like a multiple shows in Alaska. We played three or four. Wow! So Anchorage, Juneau. We played Anchorage, Fairbanks. Fairbanks. And that was like the best show, like a college town. Okay. Like made you know they paid us really well. Um, and then we put a show that was outside of Anchorage that we had to build the stage out of dirt when we got there and put out of dirt. We like were they had like a bobcat in the backyard and we're just like piling up dirt and then just put like a like a plank of wood, like a plank of wood. And the house that we played with didn't have any siding or brick. It was just like the Tyvek siding. It was like an unfinished house that people were like living at. I don't know if they were squatting or they owned it or what, but it was, like, the strangest experience. And I remember we played at, like, 10 or 11 at night, and it was still light out. So, like, you're, I was playing drums on this mound of dirt, looking at the mountains at 10 o'clock at night, and it was, like, you know, bright out. Yeah. It was so weird. And we had this, like, yeah, like, this RV that was falling apart, caught on fire at one point, it broke down. Oh. And it was, like, this, like... Looking back, it was it's it's all hilarious because we like and we're safe and fine. But like, I was I was the first person just thrown into the driver's seat of this RV, and they're like, "All right, drive," and I was just like, "I have never driven a vehicle this big before. That's like a house. Like I don't know what I'm doing." Yeah. We drove through like the Denali Mountains, and you know, really intense. And yeah. one of the people in the band was like wanted by the FBI or something for like doing something. <laughs> he was very weird. I don't know if he was even telling the truth about it, but like, right. And then I had other friends who went there after us who someone else did their tour and they had like the best experience, most fun time ever. And we were just like, I was like, like miserable the whole time. Cause it was just right. like, it sounds like, it sounds like you, your band was like the guinea pigs for it, and then they yeah. figured it out, maybe. Oh, man. It's like one disaster after another, like breaking down and like these giant mosquitoes just eating us alive in the middle of nowhere. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's one of those things where in the moment was so terrible, but like, but like you wouldn't probably trade that for the world just because you've had such a, so many stories that probably came out of that. Oh yeah, totally. Looking back, I like every, see a picture every once in a while. I'm like, oh my God, that was even talking about it now. I'm like, I forget about it. Cause I don't think about it. I'm like, well, yeah. that was like really wild. And you know, everything's, I think things are more fun in hindsight. I'm like, well, that was so fun. But in the moment I'm like, I just want to go home. <laughs> Right. I, well, I feel like most things in life are that way. A lot of, a lot of, I mean, even like relationships that people have are often that way. You know, yeah. people break, people break up and they're like, oh, I miss my person I was with. And you're like, yeah, but you're not thinking about when it was terrible. Yeah. You only <laughs> focus time. on the positive aspects of everything, you know, and, and uh, totally. a lot of the time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> how many of those bands that you did put out records? Um, my band in New Hampshire put out an LP. Rubrics put out an LP. Um, what was that feeling like for you? Like the first time getting a getting to like hold oh, like a, a piece of vinyl. The coolest yeah. thing ever. Um, what what label put out that first record? Uh, Get better. Oh, so it was so yeah. right out right out the gate. You were self releasing. Yeah, and the way I paid for it was I had a friend at the college hire me to print T shirts for the club at the school, and they paid me like just enough money to press a record. So I kind of like used like the school's money to like fund the first record that that Get Better did like on vinyl. Um, it's a yeah, perfect it was, punk punk label yeah. start you know <laughs> it, it's all about hustling that's perfect what uh what pressing plant did you use was it like a rainbow or something or at that time it was palmino in uh kentucky which ended up i don't know i don't know if you know this but it was this guy i can't remember his name it was like a family business and the guy who owned it actually died on the job because one of the one of the machines blew up on him oh my god and then his son picked up after him and i think they then mostly focused on maybe mastering they did something different but it's called palmino it's in like louisville or lexington kentucky i think um like small family-run business super nice great customer service um yeah they were really sweet and then yeah the owner that's terrible so sad um but how was your yeah how was your first experience dealing with a, a pressing plant i feel like that's that's always a bit of a you know when you when you're unfamiliar with the territory it's a little stressful because you're probably being asked a lot of questions you've never dealt with before yeah. it's a lot that goes into it how, do you remember remote, anything about it i remember just being on the phone with them all the time i think like what year was it probably 2012 or 11 or 12 um i remember just like always having to call him up and just like we were always talking about something, I don't remember what. I don't remember being like that stressful. I think it actually got mm-hmm. stressful later on. Like mm-hmm. now, it's almost like more stressful dealing with it than it was back then. Because I just like was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just gonna like call this dude up and tell him what I want. Right. Um, but yeah, definitely like a, you know a new experience that I hadn't done before. So it was like definitely a, a learning curve about like what kind of files you need, like vinyl masters. What's that? You know, like all the templates for the jackets and the insert and all that. Um, and I think actually I, I screen printed all the record covers at the time. Okay. So I think they just sent us vinyl, if I remember correctly. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. As, uh, I was, yeah, I was, I was thinking of, uh, of different label questions uh, to ask. And one of the, or like, especially like pressing records and stuff. And, I, and one of the things I thought of was like, wonder what to ask like to ask a label person like what a first learning experience was with like whether it's like pressing records or or working with a distribution company or something something where you're like wow i'm I'm glad you know glad i maybe got that lesson out of the way yeah because now i i know how to go going forward um so our first distributor was traffic entertainment which is like a very very small company in like near Boston mm-hmm. and it was very hands-off. I remember like being like, what is a one sheet? I don't know what this is. Like I have to put the cover art and describe what the record is about. It was just, like, was so confusing to me. And I 
I'm not like very good with the computer and like technology stuff. So I was just like, had so much trouble like formatting it and everything. And we weren't with them very long. And then we went to Death Wish um, and they did all of our distribution, just like handled all of the paperwork for us. Like we never once talked to anyone at the orchard um, who was, who's their distributor. Um, but now last year we switched to Red Eye. So we like have our own distribution deal and all that stuff. And it's almost been like a relearning curve over the pandemic. That's like kind of what we've been focusing on. It's just like our own distributor and like relearning how to make a one sheet, you know, which as recently as, you know, a year ago, um, and like putting all that together and perfecting it and trying to just like, I feel like I'm learning. I I learn. I do something new fairly often trying something new, just like always trying to like figure out how to do something better and more efficient than I was doing before. Right. And for people, for, you know, for people listening, if you're wondering what a one sheet is basically, so like I worked at a record store for a, a number of years, so I would get sent all these one sheets from the, you know, from our distributor, basically. It's like, a, it's basically like a one page sh- sales pitch for like why you should stock this record in your store. So it's like, and I don't, they feel kind of pointless, you yeah. know, like, like I, I never once got a one sheet and read the whole thing and was like, yep, ordering 30 copies of this. You know, it's like, it's a lot of most record like, uh, store people. I feel like a, a part of the reason they're there is because they feel like they know everything already. So it's <laughs> like, you know, Oh, I know this record label. I trust this record label. Yeah. I mean, I'll take 10 copies of that just because I trust this record label, you know, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. It almost feels a little archaic at this point, having this like, sale basically it's like yeah it's like the album cover a couple bullet points about the record you know like some like ooh produced by so and so or whatever and then yeah like a brief synopsis of what the album is about um and maybe it serves a purpose to like older generation record stores or something like that but um it they're always stressful to put together i'm with you you know where it's like do we really need this but i guess we do yeah, and it's, it's like, also so important because if you, like, don't hand in the one sheet at the right time, you could miss the street date and have to push it back an entire week. Oh, right. And it's, like, it feels so archaic, too, because, yeah, you're right, it's too, like, an older generation. It's, like, you know, serving an older generation, and then um, I find myself entering, like, this is how many TikTok followers they have. And it's just, like, <laughs> what is happening? Like, yeah. there's some, like... 40 year old record store person care how many TikTok followers this band has? Maybe they do, but maybe they don't. They probably don't. Right. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's 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 definitely super interesting. Um oh well, I, I mean I, I feel like th- there's like a billion questions I could probably go down with between uh between music or I'm sorry, between uh record labels and all that sort of stuff, but um I won't keep you all day. So the last, you know, the last question I like to ask everybody is, uh, do you remember the first time you felt like you were doing the thing that you had been working so hard towards? Um, Whether it's label or band or both or, or whatever. The honest answer is that I feel like I'm always in motion, that I don't often process what I'm doing until like way later. Like I still, I feel like I'm always like unaware of what's going on. I'm just like so focused on the task at hand that I don't know if I've ever felt ever had that moment or maybe that moment hasn't happened yet um the only thing I can really think of is like over the pandemic I was just like the only thing I was doing was working on the label I wasn't like touring wasn't doing anything else so I was just kind of like this is kind of what I 
always wanted to do. You know, obviously I love touring and playing in bands, but I was like, this feels really cool that my full-time job right now is just putting out records and focusing on the label. And that felt really good. And I brought on like a couple of people to work at the label over the pandemic, which also felt like this moment where I was like, oh yeah, I'm doing what I'm doing. And also other people are doing it with me. This is like the dream right here. Yeah. 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 Like uh, Koji yep. works with you now, right? Yeah. Yeah. We pretty much do every, everything together with the label now, two of us. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I have not seen, I have not seen Koji in a really long time. Is Koji in Philly? They're actually, they are, but they're actually in LA right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah but they, they a... moved to Philly in like May, I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I understand what you're saying with, with like, you know, you've had this whole year to just like focus on the label and a part of, I think doing a label is like, it's just so much consistent work. So you're always either having to talk to an artist about deadlines or getting something done or your own personal deadlines for getting things turned in on time or, or all these sorts of things, or you're having probably a lot of zoom calls and and just all sorts of stuff to where it almost kind of, creates the inability to celebrate when something happens which Mm -hmm. is kind of a which is kind of a drag in a way where you're like like i need to be happy that this thing happened and this thing maybe came out and there was no issues with it and like let's celebrate that today but it's sometimes hard because the moment you might be celebrating that is you're also having to maybe put out a fire that's happening over here um so I think for, for you and I, we both need to maybe take a step back sometimes and be like, let's just be proud of something for a second. Cause maybe, maybe that moment has hit you, but you haven't had the opportunity to, to, like I said, like celebrate it because, you know, this business is a lot of putting out fires and a lot of stresses. <laughs> yeah. And just like finishing one task and immediately being like, okay, this record came out today, but this one comes out in two weeks. Like time to like, you almost like your brain immediately has to switch to being like, okay, that's out. What's next? And it's just this yeah. constant cycle. But yeah, you're right. It's it's so important to just like stop and like be like, whoa, we did this thing. It was great. No problems happened. You know. Yeah. There's always gonna be some issue with something. Always, but like, right. you know, it's important to really celebrate those things because otherwise you're just, you know, your head's just down the whole time. And like, what's the point if you're just like not even enjoying it? Not that I don't absolutely. enjoy it. I do, but like, yeah, you know, perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love what your label does. I think I think you all do such a great job of um, putting out younger bands. You know, the the uh, big aspect of the label is representation, which you're so wonderful at. Um, I'm happy to call you a friend, and I'm happy to to been able to uh, have this have this talk with you today. So continue to keep up the good work. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, great honor to be on the show. Thank you. Take care. You as well. Thank you. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Alex and thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're enjoying this. And if you wouldn't mind leaving a rating and review over on Apple, that would mean a whole lot. I will see you next week and uh, take care of yourselves. Be good out there. <laughs>